Today's episode is an example of what happens when I try to drive the subject instead of letting the material take its own course. Allow me to explain. As a kid, my mom had a whole bunch of tricks to sucker us into learning that were really clever. She is a retired school teacher, and she would take us to the Art Institute of Chicago with a scavenger hunt of sorts that she designed for we youngsters to find all the artworks on her list throughout the museum, a game that came along with prizes. To this day, it is why I know that any Jeopardy question, or answer rather, in a round one category on Impressionism mentioning ballerina artworks, that the answer, question, most likely is, who is Edgar Degas? Though it should be noted, Degas preferred to be classified as a realist and did not care for the word impressionist. And while my mom may not have been thrilled with the violence aspect, I think she secretly delighted that the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, or TMNT, further piqued my interest in Renaissance art. For those of you unfamiliar with the tubular tortugas, allow me to catch you up. There was a Japanese group of ninjas called the Foot. One of its soldiers, Hamato Yoshi, was a huge fan of Renaissance art and would practice his martial artistry of the ninja at home in front of his pet rat's cage. Hamato loved a gal named Tang Shen, who refused the advances of another foot soldier, Oroku Nagi, who beat the hell out of her before being rescued by Yoshi, who walked in on the incident and killed his comrade, a punishable offense to the clan. So, he grabbed his rat and his girl and fled to New York City to open a martial arts school. Meanwhile, back in Japan, Nagi's little brother Oroku Saki was foot training with revenge on his mind and rising to the ranks to become the leader of the New York City branch of the clan where he took on the name Shredder and reorganized the institution to become a first-class band of thieves, spies, and murderers. He also hunted Hamato Yoshi, who again came home one night to discover his apartment turned upside down, including the rat's cage, and his special lady friend dead on the ground. Unaware his intruder was still afoot, Shredder killed Hamato with his blades. Yoshi's loyal, liberated rodent jumped on Saki's shoulder and counterattacked with claws to his face. Shredder sliced off a chunk of the rat's ear and it scattered off to be with its own kind in the sewers of New York City. 
Fast forward to 1969, as a kid was exiting a pet store with four newly hatched terrapins, a blind man crossed the street and was nearly smushed by a truck branded with the letters TCRI on the side, but was saved by a good Samaritan who, in the process of rushing to the blind man, bumped the kid with the turtles, who dropped the jar, which rolled into the gutter, and shattered. The truck swerved with enough force to throw the back doors open and fling a vial of green ooze down the sewer where it spilled all over the critters. Again, our orphaned rat was on the scene, witnessed it all from below, and quickly collected the little shell-shocked dudes into a tin can, getting green ooze on himself in the process. They all gradually mutated into anthropomorphic creatures with advanced intelligence regarding their respective species. And over the next 15 years, the rat acted as a mentor, father figure, and sensei that taught the four brothers the art of ninjutsu. Scattered curiosity, the turtles were the ones to name the rat Splinter when their sensei demonstrated how good he was at breaking boards. The name given to him by Hamato Yoshi is unknown. Bonus curiosity, there is an alternate TMNT origin where Shredder is an evil Ultram who was banished from his home world, crashed on Earth, and embodied Oroku Saki like a parasite. And that Hamato Yoshi was a guardian of the usually magnanimous Ultrams and brought a batch of them to New York City and protect the world when Shredder comes to his apartment and kills him. And yet even another origin story has Hamato Yoshi the human being mutated into the rat. Either way, the rat appropriated the Yoshi name as an alternate to being called Master Splinter, who in turn named the heroes in a half shell Leonardo, Michelangelo, Donatello, and Raphael, derived from old art history books he found in the sewers and Yoshi's love of Renaissance art. Now, this is where I must drive the subject instead of letting it dictate itself, because I was hoping to find significant correlations between the turtles' persona and their substantive Renaissance namesakes, but found very little, if anything at all, to make a case for it. In my opinion, the names are great. They were just assigned to the wrong turtle. First off, in actual history, Donatello was a sculptor from Florence, Italy, who worked with bronze, clay, stone, wood, wax, stucco, and many assistants over his career, usually four at a time. Also in real life, 
Donatello is the oldest of the classical quartet, then Leonardo, then Michelangelo, then Raphael. But Ninja Turtle lore holds that Leonardo is the oldest, followed by Raphael, then Donatello, and Michelangelo is the youngest. I bet they would have altered that if the internet was around in 1984. Donatello is the least violent of the turtles, wears a purple mask, and uses a bow staff for a weapon. Interestingly, he is the tech whiz turtle who invents all sorts of gadgets, more in concert with the characteristics of the verified Renaissance man, Leonardo da Vinci. Scattered curiosity, Donatello the turtle was instead almost named after the Baroque-style sculptor Gian Lorenzo Bernini known as the Michelangelo of his century. In the sewers, Leonardo is the blue-masked eldest leader of the group with his katata swords. The genuine Leonardo was a vegetarian who believed that Earth was older than the Bible per his observations of river erosion, explained why the sky was blue, how the atmosphere in the air scatters light, and would often buy caged birds so he could set them free. He also has a mineral named in his honor, Da Vinciite. Michelangelo is the free-spirited funny man with nunchucks in orange whose real-life persona was probably more in line with the characteristics attributed to his brother's indisputable namesake, Raphael. Renaissance-era Michelangelo was repudiated for being hot-headed and difficult to work with. Renaissance Raphael was a sweet, well-known part of high society thought to have OD'd on sex with the baker's daughter. Yet the most aggressive of the turtle team, Ninja Raphael, wears a red mask, is deadly with a sigh, and made my jaw drop in the 1990 Jim Henson Creature Shop Design live-action movie when he was bested in his pursuit of Casey Jones and yelled at the top of his turtle lungs, Damn! That was the coolest movie, taking on the darker tone of the original graphic novel versus the cartoonish sequels when they were fighting with sausages and traveling back in time. Plus, the 1990 movie had a young Sam Rockwell featured as a turtle-thwarted thug and Corey Feldman as the voice of Donatello. He was in Goonies. The phenomenon was born in 1983 when Kevin Eastman sketched a nunchuck-wielding, cabalistic creature on its hind legs and titled it Ninja Turtle, to which his pal Peter Laird laughed and drafted a more detailed incarnation. 
Then Eastman fired back by penciling three more turtles with differing weapons. Laird refined the tableau of the foursome and added the adjectives teenage and mutant. They tooled around with Japanese names for the turtles, but instead went with the Italian influence because they were art history fans. According to Laird, quote, it felt just quirky enough to fit the concept, end quote. Though it should be noted that in their first designs, they misspelled Michelangelo. The men self-published their first comic, which was intended to spoof Marvel's Daredevil and New Mutants comics. And the blind man truck ooze scenario is supposed to be a Daredevil origin crossover. Their initial rollout was personally financed, plus a modest loan from an uncle, and the first run sold out quickly enough for them to print more, realizing they better get cracking on a second issue because it proved to have a following. After a few years, they were approached by Playmates Toys about making action figures to package along with a television show for kids. This is where Turtle Power and Heroes in a Half Shell came from. While not thrilled about the lighter direction of their creation, the men reasoned that their graphic novel was able to retain the primary source of creation that young adult to adult fans could still enjoy. Some might call this selling out, but can you honestly say that you would do any different? They had a marketing hit on their hands worth many, many millions of dollars. The initial cartoon ran for 10 years and featured the voice talent of James Avery, Uncle Phil from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, as the Shredder. By the year 2000, Kevin Eastman had sold his share of the Turtles to Peter Laird, who held it for nine years before selling the franchise to Viacom, who has since turned it into a popular CGI cartoon that includes the voice talent of Sean Astin as Raphael and Jason Biggs as Leonardo. Scattered Curiosity, a one-season series called Ninja Turtles, The Next Mutation, included a fifth female turtle named Venus de Milo. Bonus Curiosity, in the United Kingdom, they were called Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, TMHT, because the word ninja has violent connotations. Their weapon use was limited, and Michelangelo's nunchucks had to be totally edited out, resigning him to oversee the grappling hook or turtle line. Bonus, bonus curiosity, two honest-to-God knockoffs of the turtles have been pre-teen dirty jean kung fu kangaroos and 
adolescent radioactive black belt hamsters. I should have my mom write a letter to Eastman and Laird. Because as an adult, they have conned me into learning, just like she did oh so many years ago. Because I read up on Leonardo, Michelangelo, Donatello, and Raphael, trying to find some links between the men and the corresponding turtle. Which, sadly, there really is none. But luckily, their stories are only slightly less interesting than being mutated by nuclear ooze. While all of these guys have been world famous for over 600 years, I found that I didn't really know that much about the teenage avant-garde master talents. Donato di Niccolò di Bettobardi, please forgive my atrocious attempts at Italian, was born the same year as King Henry V, 1386, in Florence, Italy. He received his training within Lorenzo Ghiberti's studio, who himself was a sculptor and goldsmith, who might be the earliest artist to have penned an autobiography. Commentario, and is just one of dozens of Lorenzo's in our story today. Donatello, as we know him, would go on to assist Lorenzo in finishing statues of prophets to be put in the Baptistry Cathedral. By age 18, Donatello was moving stones treasure hunting through Rome and performing excavations with Filippo Brunelleschi, who had tasked himself with measuring the dome of the Pantheon. Part of the Arte della Seta, the Silk Merchants Guild, made up of goldsmiths and manipulators of bronze, Filippo has often been called the first modern engineer who introduced linear perspective to the Renaissance. He was a master by age 21. Brunelleschi's buildings and Donatello's sculptures would forever be inspired by their findings in Rome. Now, before I continue, I should point out that today's episode will have many mentions of statues named David, as everyone seemed to be doing them at the time. Donatello sculpted a few, the first of which at age 22. A whopping, life-size marble David statue intended for the Florence Cathedral, but instead went to the Palazzo Vecchio, where it stood until it was replaced by Michelangelo's David statue some years later. But for now... Donatello is top dog, and Michelangelo hasn't even been born yet. Don's follow-up to David took two years to complete, a gigantic statue of St. John the Evangelist, 
which still resides in the Museo dell'Opera del Duomo, as does his simulacrum of St. Mark. Supposedly, when Donatello built it, he made the head and shoulders of bigger proportions because its final pedestal would display the statue in an elevated position. When St. Mark was shown to his employers at ground level, they complained about the ad measurements and ordered Donatello to change them. He made absolutely zero alterations to it, and when he unveiled St. Mark at its higher position, they were pleased with his adjustments. So, who pays for all this stuff? Greatly, the Medici Bank, founded by Giovanni di Bici Medici, a self-made man and a member of two Arte Maggiore guilds, kind of like the stonemasons, which could be thought of as an early version of quality control in Florence that ruled the arts like virtual corporations for centuries. Giovanni belonged to one of the oldest orders, the Arte del Lana, Guild of Wool Merchants, and of course, the Arte del Cambio, the Guild of Bankers. Since the 1150s, affiliates of the Arte had to be the son of a member, exhibit exuberant talent in a particular craft, and pay a special tax. They would then take on garzoni, or apprentices. Giovanni transformed his dual wool shops into bank branches spread throughout Rome, Venice, Geneva, and Naples, briefly. But the big black bucks came from Rome, where he used his financial influence to buy votes in the Vatican. Ghiberti had since fled to Rimini to avoid a Black Plague outbreak, but returned to Florence when he heard about a competition being held for metallic masters to design bronze doors for the Florence Baptistry Cathedral. Contestants were given sheets of brass with which to design a relief of the sacrifice of Isaac that would fit the door panels and had a year to complete the task. In 1401, Lorenzo Ghiberti's design tied with Filippo Brunelleschi's and they were asked to work on them together. Brunelleschi was insulted, refused, and instead traveled to Rome to pursue architecture there. Ghiberte then employed the skills of his many pupils, notably Michelozzo and Donatello. They would forever be known as Porte del Paradiso, the Gates of Paradise, coined by Michelangelo. And the commissioners agreed because right after the first set of doors was done, they ordered a second set. Giovanni's bank financed John the Twenty-Third, 
with the florins it needed to buy the position of cardinal. John repaid Giovanni by making the Medici Bank the official institution of the papacy, giving the Medici name insurmountable status and the power to have excommunication thrust upon those who owed the bank money. This relationship would only last five years when John was removed from power, leaving the Medicis to compete with other banks for the holy account. In 1418, the Florence Baptistry Cathedral needed a dome bigger than the Pantheon's but one hadn't been built since ancient times. The Arte della Lana had a competition similar to the Brass Cathedral Doors one for its commission, and again it was down to Ghiberti and Brunelleschi. This time, Filippo won by winning the challenge of standing an egg upright on a slab of marble, known today as the Egg of Columbus. Filippo invented hoisting machines to complete the job, which contained more than four million bricks. He left no blueprints for the design that took 17 years to complete. He is buried in the crypt there. If I had to choose a historical figure from the Renaissance to be Master Splinter, it would probably be Donatello's good friend and contemporary Cosimo de' Medici, Giovanni's son, which I guess makes Giovanni Hamato Yoshi. But again, this is me trying to drive the subject. Cosimo took over the family business, expanding his position to politician who was the first of the Medici family to serve as a de facto ruler, or priore, of the Republic of Florence. It is Cosimo who really invested the Medici fortune on education, architecture, and commissioning artists, playwrights, sculptors, poets, and writers. Cosimo would branch the bank even further with locations in London and Western Europe. With a lot of money being funneled through the papacy, it is no surprise that Donatello was commissioned with works such as St. George and the Dragon, St. Louis of Toulouse, The Incredulity of St. Thomas, and statues for the Duomo in Florence, The Beardless Prophet, the Bearded Prophet, his crucifix for Santa Croce, and perhaps Donatello's most famous piece, his bronze David commissioned by Cosimo. It was the first freestanding nude statue made since the Roman era and is often credited with being the first significant Renaissance sculpture. The homoerotic characteristics of the statue led some to believe that it reflected on Donatello's own physical tastes, 
a fact he was not only proud of, but was well known and accepted by his peers. Cosimo defended the Romanesque style and began to challenge other powerful families in town using his purse strings to sway votes of councils. This was not looked upon favorably to some who sought to remove Cosimo by imprisoning him at the Palazzo Vecchio. Cosimo got the punishment downgraded to exile. In solidarity, Donatello followed him and picked up the gig of designing the tomb of Giovanni Crivelli and Ciborium in St. Peter's Basilica. Cosimo wasted no time bringing his bank to Padua and Venice, making allies all the way, who found his acceptance of exile honorable, prompting representatives of Venice to petition the abolition of his sentence, which was refused, so Cosimo and his older brother Lorenzo, get ready, this is only number two, stayed in Venice, encouraging other high-ranking Florentines to follow suit, including the architect Michelozzo, whom Cosimo brought on to build a library in Venice. It was his only work outside of Florence, a place that was slowly realizing it missed his money. The powers that be had to lift Cosimo's ban. Once done, he reestablished business as usual in Florence, with an undertone of revenge for those who'd banished him in the first place. Cosimo focused on uniting northern Italy by balancing the powers between Milan, Florence, Venice, and Naples, while keeping the Holy Roman Empire and France from being involved. And he did it not only using his money for politics, but by heavily endorsing artists, orators, philosophers, and poets to heighten the civic living in Florence. He felt it was his duty as a wealthy man to provide these services. When Cosimo returned to Florence, so did Donatello, who got right to working on his wooden statue of St. John the Baptist and bust of a young man with a cameo. With contracts pouring in, he was summoned to Padua to help beautify the exterior of the Basilica of St. Anthony. Donatello spent seven years constructing his equestrian monument of Gattemelata, which set a standard for European horse monuments for a couple hundred years. To go inside the basilica, he designed a bronze crucifix, a Madonna and child, and six saints. Growing up, Cosimo owned but three books, and spent a great deal of his life collecting a ton more, expanding his love of literature. He sought to bring back the works of ancient Greece and Rome by traveling to Egypt, Syria, and several towns of Europe to add to the collection, 
Grateful to be back in Florence, Cosimo financed its first public library, also designed by Michelozzo. Like libraries today, books could be used at no charge to the reader. In addition, he hired 45 copyists to perform transcriptions, paid the debts of others in exchange for their manuscripts, and commissioned the first translation of the complete works of Plato. In preparation for preserving his legacy, Cosimo also had Michelozzo build a library for his grandson, providing the finest education available at his newly constructed Platonic Academy. This grandson would one day be known as Lorenzo the Magnificent, the offspring of Cosimo's eldest son, Piero. The scene was finally set for the arrival of a child born out of wedlock to a notary and a peasant woman, Leonardo di Ser Piero da Vinci. Leonardo, son of Ser Piero from Vinci. Sir meant his dad was a gentleman. His father would go on to marry several times and sire twelve half-siblings to the genius. The last was born when Leonardo was 40. There is much debate about the early life of Leo, including the legend that Sir Piero was hired to paint a shield for a local peasant, passed it along to his son, who put a fire-breathing monster on it that was so freaky that it was instead brought to an art dealer in Florence who sold it to the Duke of Milan. The profits were used to buy the peasant a new and heavily decorated shield. During his life, Leonardo worked in Rome, Bologna, Venice, and France. Only 15 of his paintings survive today. In addition to painting, he was involved in just about everything from sculpting to inventing to science, architecture, literature, engineering, geology, botany, math, anatomy, astronomy, history, cartography, and gave the world the first prototypes for a kind of helicopter, parachute, tank, and even the concept of solar power. While he did not build many of his designs, he made meticulous blueprints. Scattered curiosity, in the year 2000, a skydiver successfully used a parachute crafted from Leonardo's design. Cosimo died before truly getting to experience the depth of Leonardo's brilliance who, by the age of 14, was an apprentice garzone to Verrocchio, nicknamed to the goldsmith, sculptor, and painter Andrea de Michele de Francesco de Cione. Verrocchio, true eye in Italian, is in reverence of his talents. At one time an apprentice of Donatello's, 
he designed a funerary monument for Cosimo upon his death. Soon after, Donatello had also died in Florence at the ripe old age of 80. Though revered as an artist during his life, Donatello was not a well-liked man. At times, he would destroy a sculpture before letting someone he didn't like buy it. No starving artist, his behavior was not checked because he was so close to the Medici family. In death, too, he is buried next to Cosimo. The position of Bankhead to the Renaissance had been bequeathed to Cosimo's son, who desired to be known for something other than his unofficial title, Piero the Gaudi, for reasons that should be fairly obvious. Piero suffered a sickly life growing up in Cosimo's shadow, and his brief five-year reign must have seemed like forever because he inherited an administration in shambles. If the name is not an indicator, the man was beridden with gout to the point of doing most business from his bedroom, effectively making the Medici Palace the center of Florence government. Upon review of their books, Piero decided the bank needed to collect on some outstanding balances that Cosimo had let slide as political favors. Much to the astonishment of many businesses who were not ready for this change of the brass that drove them to bankruptcy, creating more powerful enemies for the Medici family. Not surprisingly, a coup was assembled that even included Piero's cousin, Pierfrancesco Medici. Piero had been warned of his perilous situation when his magnificent son Lorenzo happened upon a cartel of bandits setting a trap to nap his dad on the road, but was not recognized by the bagmen. And another coup was in the works. This meant war. Verrocchio was strict that his students master human anatomy, and because Leonardo was one of them, he was permitted to dissect human bodies at the hospital in Florence. Leo proved to be quite adept at drawing skeletons, the heart, internal organs, the vascular system, and one of the very first pictures of a fetus in utero. Leonardo also dissected monkeys, frogs, bears, cows, and birds, and was very well versed in the study of horses. He performed studio duties for seven years alongside other Verrocchio workshop alums, Lorenzo De Credi, Domenico Gerlendaio, Sandro Botticelli, and Pietro Perugino. In addition to painting and sculpting, he exhibited acute knowledge of carpentry, drafting, plaster casting, metallurgy, 
and working with leather. When Leonardo assisted Verrocchio on the baptism of Christ and painted an angel holding Jesus' robe, Verrocchio realized it to be better than his own and allegedly never painted again. Leonardo was declared a master in the Guild of St. Luke, yet he continued to work with Verrocchio. And art historians are quick to point out that the inspiration of Donatello's David is evident in John the Baptist. Piero the Gaudi was successful in uniting Florence, Naples, Milan, and the Papal States against hostilities in Venice, and got back to doing what Medici's do, financing art. He expanded the flavors of his father's collection with art coming out of the Netherlands and kept alive the tradition of acquiring books. Sadly, lung disease and gout got the best of Piero in 1469. Lorenzo de' Medici was considered the brightest of Piero's five kids, who had successfully performed several diplomatic missions as a young man by proxy of his father, and picked up the family business with a huge assist from his mother, Lucrezia Tornabuoni, who advised the 20-year-old ruler. Magnificent as Lorenzo may have been, descriptions suggest that he was not quite as good-looking as his older brother, Giuliano, whom Botticelli modeled his Mars and Venus painting on. Verrocchio then made a funerary monument for Piero, who had recently commissioned a bronze David statue, just like his father Cosimo. Verrocchio's take on David was a young clothed boy versus the scandalous naked one provided by Donatello. And it is said that Verrocchio used Leonardo as his model. Okay, time for more terrible Italian with Albert Einstein and the March 6th, 1475 birth of Michelangelo di Lodovico Bunarotte Simone, the best documented artist in the 16th century. Michelangelo was uninterested in school, preferring to just hang around painters and copy works he'd seen at church, even though Florence was a massive hub for learning and the arts in Italy, which was even sponsored by the town council. Michelangelo was a garzone to Domenico Ghirlandaio, a master of perspective and frescoes who was part of a team to decorate the walls of the Sistine Chapel. By age 14, Michelangelo was a paid artist, a very rare occurrence at the time. And even now, frankly... He was sent to work for Lorenzo de' Medici while attending the Humanish Academy. His earliest known carvings using the shallow relief Donatello technique were Madonna of the Steps and Battle of the Centaurs. 
This style was later adapted by Raphael in his Bridgewater Madonna. Mike was then able to further pad his resume with employment provided by Bertoldo Di Giovanni. It was during this project that he got into a scuffle with a fellow pupil who punched Michelangelo in the nose, giving him and us the portrayal of a man with a seemingly malformed nose. He was hailed as a poet, architect, and believed to be the greatest living artist of his time, a master of paint and sculpture. He became the first Western artist to have a biography published about him while he was still alive and tops himself in the category by having had two biographies about him while still alive. Mike would grow up to be a rival of Leonardo da Vinci, who was probably relieved not to have any living biographies. There is not much record of Leonardo having had intimate relationships with women, and his sexuality has been up for debate for hundreds of years. He has been portrayed as having passionate feelings for his students and was once accused of sodomy alongside three other men. Even though homosexual activities were illegal in Florence, the great master was acquitted of the charges. He basically ghosted for the next two years, and there is zero evidence of any of his work or what he was up to in this time frame. His resurgence was nothing short of remarkable. At age 26, Leonardo left Verrocchio's studio and was hired to paint a piece for the chapel of St. Bernard in the Palazzo Vecchio followed by the adoration of the Magi for a group of San Donato Ascapetto monks. Neither project was ever completed. But the rudimentary town hall of Florence was hardly Lorenzo de' Medici's biggest concern in 1478, who had his own coup to contend with like so many Medicis before him. The fatal encounter famously known as the Pazzi Conspiracy, included the Archbishop of Pisa and was given approval by Pope Sixtus IV, a.k.a. Shredder. The gang jumped Lorenzo the Magnificent and his older brother, stabbing Giuliano de' Medici to death. Lorenzo, the new splinter, managed to escape with the help of his poet buddy, Poliziano. Florence, furious at the attack, was gunning for the archbishop and anyone else involved in this papal provocation. The Pope teamed up with King Ferdinand I of Naples to march on Florence and excommunicated Lorenzo who was able to influence his countrymen to fight them off for a while, but ultimately gave himself up as a prisoner of Naples to end the violence, thereby managing to resolve some diplomacy through Florentine reformations to the Constitution. 
now a hero, he championed to keep France and the Holy Roman Empire out of northern Italy and made a profitable alliance with the Ottoman Empire. Lorenzo didn't commission as many things as his grandfather Cosimo, but kept the arts endowed by signing the checks for art installments of Sandro Botticelli, Michelangelo Buonarroti, and Leonardo da Vinci. Michelangelo even lived at Lorenzo's Palazzo for three years. I just got this vision of Michelangelo couch surfing at Medici's house. Cowabunga! Being the learned man that he was, Lorenzo wrote some acclaimed poetry that exists to this day. And he widened the catalogs of Medici libraries by hiring a lot of copy editors while spreading knowledge to Europe, using art for diplomacy by commissioning murals in the Sistine Chapel to make peace between Florence and Pope Sixtus IV. It is in these years, Raffaello Sanzio da Urbino, architect, painter, and final member of the traditional trinity of Renaissance masters, was born. Raphael did a ton of pieces in his short 37-year lifespan, many of which can be found at the Vatican Palace, his most famous, the School of Athens. Raphael blended well with high society, which gave his career an air of being undeserved by some of his predecessors. His father was the court painter to the Duke of Urbino and taught Raphael tricks of the trade. At age eight, his mother died, and his father shortly after remarrying. He was orphaned to a priest, his uncle Bartolomeo. Raphael busied himself drawing self-portraits as an adolescent and was apprenticed to an Umbrian master and Leonardo's classmate from Verrocchio's studio, Pietro Perugino. It has been said, quote, Probably no other pupil of genius has ever absorbed so much of his master's teaching as Raphael did, end quote. Together, they coated canvases with thick layers using varnish to shadow clothing, which cracks over time. Things changed for Michelangelo, and indeed Renaissance art, when Lorenzo de' Medici the Magnificent died in 1492. Michelangelo left the Medici court, but carved a polychrome crucifix to give to the Florentine Church of Santo Spirito, who in turn let him do anatomical study of corpses in the hospital at the church. And the dude was just unstoppable, turning a huge block of marble into a huge statue of Hercules, which traveled to France but mysteriously vanished in the 18th century. Michelangelo was called back to the Medici court by Lorenzo's successor, his eldest son, Piero de Lorenzo de' Medici, known as Piero the Unfortunate 
who commissioned Michelangelo to make him a snow statue. Shortly after arriving in Florence, he was forced to turn around and hightail it out of there to Bologna because of an uprising of anti-Renaissance priests hell-bent on removing the Medici from power and backed by King Charles VIII of France, who had journeyed over the Alps to claim the kingdom of Naples. Charles wanted safe passage through Tuscany, which would not allow Piero to maintain a neutral position in the conflict. Charles would prevail. The Medici Palazzo was ransacked and they were exiled from Florence. Again, scattered curiosity, while sculpting St. John the Baptist, Lorenzo asked Michelangelo to fix it so that it looked as if it had been buried. That way, he could send it to Rome, pass it off as an ancient work, and sell it off at a higher price. Their art dealer, in turn, screwed them over by selling it for less than its actual worth. And the guy who bought it, the Cardinal Raffaele Riario, soon learned of the forgery, was super impressed by its quality, and invited Michelangelo to Rome. Meanwhile... Leonardo was also spreading diplomacy through endowment of the arts. In addition to his many attributes, Leonardo was quite a talented musician and played the lyre well enough to at one point of his life be famed for his musicianship. He invented a silver lyre shaped like a horse head and was sent to Milan to give it to the Duke as a peace offering. Leonardo loved Milan so much, he stayed there for 17 years, in which time he painted Virgin of the Rocks and The Last Supper. And Leonardo wasn't as much of a painting prodigy as a bookkeeper and sketch artist. Perhaps you've seen his Vitruvian Man. Moreover, his scientific studies have been called works of art. He kept daily journals, sometimes writing in mirror image cursive because he was an ambidextrous dyslexic capable of writing forward with one hand and backwards with another. Check out his signature on the internet. It looks like the web of a spider on crack. Leonardo was an observational scientist and did not do heavy experiments or hypothesis of theory. He was not great at math, had to teach himself Latin, and kept lists of everything. Groceries, IOUs, ideas for shoes with wings, the ability to walk on water, observations of plants, animals, rocks, babies, whirlpools, and designed machines of war, some that were supposed to fly. Most of his documents were clearly written with the forethought of having them published. 
compilations have been made into collections of various historical divisions. Scattered curiosity, Bill Gates owns Leonardo da Vinci's Codex Leicester, which he brings to the light of day but once a year. Leonardo's faculties then shifted to cathedral domes and bronze horses. His clay model, Gran Cavallo, was bigger than the only other two big horse statues of the time. Verrocchio's Bartolomeo Colone and Donatello's Gattemalata. A snarky Michelangelo wisecracked that it was so big it could never be cast. And he was kind of right, because the bronze to be used for it was instead molded into a cannon. In the interim, Michelangelo was commissioned to create a statue of Bacchus, the Roman wine god, followed by a sculpture of the Virgin Mary despondent over the death of Jesus. His world-famous Pieta is currently located at St. Peter's Basilica. When France invaded in 1499 amid the Second Italian War, they used Gran Cavallo for shooting practice. Leonardo fled Milan for Venice, engineered a mechanical knight, a steam cannon for the military, and proved an invaluable architect, designing barricades that could move around to protect the city, all while drafting blueprints for changing the flow of the Arno River with the use of hydraulic pumps, earning him a cushy workshop when he returned to Florence in 1500. Raphael demonstrated he was an able TAMT member and was considered a fully trained master and draftsman of the highest quality at age 17. His first work on the books was the Baronchi altarpiece for the St. Nicholas of Tolentino Church. Only fragments of it remain today and he continued doing large church jobs for the next couple years. By now, Piero the Unfortunate's exile to Venice saw him fully allied with France as Naples fought against the invasion. After the defeat at the Battle of Galliano, Piero the Unfortunate was caught in retreat and drowned in the Garilano River. That same year, the Mona Lisa, or the Laughing One, was completed by Leonardo da Vinci. Even though it is perhaps the most famous painting ever, it is said that his virgin and child with Saint Anne had a far bigger impact on Raphael and Michelangelo than the Mona Lisa. And Leonardo himself was eager to move on, to pen the Codex on the Flight of Birds that included drawings of his helical rotor, flapping ornithopter, and huge crossbow. Leonardo briefly served the son of Pope Alexander VI as an architect, engineer, and mapmaker, but soon went back to the Guild of St. Luke 
and spent two years working on his mural of the Battle of Anghiari, portraying a skirmish between Milan and Florence that was to go in the council chamber of the Palazzo Vecchio, along with Michelangelo's Battle of Cascina, two very different paintings. Leonardo's soldiers are victorious on horseback, and Michelangelo's soldiers are being ambushed as they bathe in a river. While the originals disappeared when the chamber was renovated, they were so admired that copies were made by Rubens and Bastiano da Sangallo. The senior da Vinci was on a committee that voted to relocate Michelangelo's newly completed huge marble statue of David a 40-year-old project started by Agostino de Duccio to be put in the Piazza della Signoria in front of the Palazzo Vecchio. A replica stands there today. Michelangelo was outraged at the influence that Leonardo had over placement of his work. But that anger would be interrupted for the next four decades or so by the new pope, Julius II's, order for a pope's tomb to be built with 40 statues. Michelangelo would work on them intermittently with other projects for 40 years. Ultimately dissatisfied with the result, they can be seen in the church of San Pietro in Vincoli, Rome. After his father died, Leonardo went back to Florence to sort out affairs concerning inheritance between him and his many siblings. He soon found himself working alongside Raphael and Michelangelo during what is known as Raphael's Florentine period, when his work became more detailed and difficult. Raphael was known to have subjects posed still while he drew naked fighting men. Portraits that were similar in style to the Mona Lisa, Holy Family, and Leda the Swan. Michelangelo hated both men. Raphael, just a little bit more, whom he blamed for, quote, conspiracies against him, end quote. Pope Julius II had invited young Raphael to St. Peter's Basilica by recommendation of his architect, Donato Bramante, who happened to be a distant relative of Raphael, to design frescoes for the Pope's private library at the Vatican Palace. This incensed Michelangelo, who had been made to wait to have such designation given to him when he was brought to Rome to work on the Sistine Chapel. Raphael took inspiration from this work, which he was secretly allowed to peek in on the progress of by the Pope. As Raphael was prone to pick up on different styles, Michelangelo accused Raphael of plagiarism. The Raphael rooms are considered by many to be his masterpiece, as it contains the School of Athens, Disputa, and the Parnassus. In these rooms, he painted each wall and the ceilings with indisputable influence from da Vinci. 
Raphael used drawings to design before putting it out in paint. When he finished something, he drew scaled-up, full-size cartoons that were poked with a pin and pounced with ash that made a dotted line to follow. Or by using a blind stylus and scratching indentation lines. Because of this, it has been said that his art does not exhibit the same energy and freedom that Leonardo and Michelangelo's do. Originally, Michelangelo was to paint the Twelve Apostles on the columns that support the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, but he convinced Pope Julius II to let him instead paint over 300 figures stretched over 1,640 square feet depicting nine happenings from the book of Genesis split into three groups. God's making of earth and mankind, their fall from grace, and rebirth. The better-known themes on the ceiling depict the drunkenness of Noah, the separation of light from darkness completed in one day, and the creation of Adam, one of the most reproduced art pieces in ever. When Pope Julius II died in 1513, Pope Leo X, who was Lorenzo Medici the Magnificent's youngest son Giovanni, kept the trio employed. Raphael was given the title of Groom of the Chamber by Leo, in addition to being named a Knight of the Papal Order of the Golden Spur, which brought more fame and fortune, and he even considered becoming a Cardinal himself. While he was never married, Raphael was engaged to Maria Bibiena, the Cardinal's niece, but she died before they wed. He was known to have had many special lady friends. Raphael was made the new architect of St. Peter's after Donato Bramante died, though most of his work on the Basilica in Vatican City was updated or destroyed after his death. Raphael was granted the force of prefect over all antiquities unearthed within the city or a mile outside. He asked Leo to stop demolishing and recycling old buildings and monuments so he could run a census of such things. The Pope agreed to have inscriptions recorded and sculptures kept intact. In 1515, France had returned to seize Milan and Leonardo sat with King Francis I and Pope Leo to broker for peace, wherein Leonardo was commissioned to build a mechanical lion that could walk. His follow-up was equally bitchin', a naked version of Mona Lisa called Mona Vanna. Leonardo would spend the last three years of his life in France, where he is buried. He requested 60 beggars to be in his funeral procession, 
and his apprentice, Count Francesco Melzi, was the number one heir to his will, getting all the paintings, tools, library, and some money. Leonardo's pupil Salai got half of his vineyards, his brothers got some land, and his servant woman got a black cloak of good stuff with fur edges. The following year on Good Friday, Raphael died by cause of a vigorous evening of relations with his favored friend with benefits, Margarita Lutti. But he lied to the doctors as to the cause of his illness, leading to a misdiagnosed cure that is said to have killed the master. In his final days, Raphael got his will in order, confessed his sins, got his last rites, and left money to dear sweet Luti and his studio to Giulio Romano and Gian Francesco Penny. He wished to be buried in the Pantheon. His funeral was huge. Quote, Here lies that famous Raphael, by who nature feared to be conquered while he lived, and when he was dying, feared herself to die. End quote. After his death, Michelangelo wrote of Raphael in a letter stating, quote, Everything he knew about art, he got from me. End quote. Raphael painted on wood, canvas, and employed the use of walnut and linseed oils. At one point in his life, he had a workshop of 50 assistants and students, which was a lot for the time, and even now. Raphael ran a tight, efficient ship and was good at managing workers and customers, whereas Michelangelo was known to be more hot-headed. While revered by his contemporaries, his style was not as influential as Michelangelo's. His is regarded as one of the best for history painting. Quote, To the question, therefore, which ought to hold the first rank, Raphael or Michelangelo, it must be answered that if it is to be given to him who possessed the greater combination of the higher qualities of the art than the other man, there is no doubt but Raphael is the first. But if, according to Longinus, the sublime, being the highest excellence that human composition can attain to, abundantly compensates the absence of every other beauty and atones for all other deficiencies, then Michelangelo demands the preference. End quote. Sir Joshua Reynolds, the first president of the Royal Academy. Between the 17th and 19th centuries, Raphael was considered to be the best Renaissance artist. Remember, the Mona Lisa didn't enjoy its status until it was stolen from the Louvre in 1911 by three Italians led by the guy who installed the protective glass for the Mona Lisa, Vincenzo Perugia, 
along with brothers Michele and Vincello Lancelotti, who had spent the night in a utility closet before emerging, stealing the Mona Lisa and other art pieces, and making their getaway via the express train station. Before the 1860s, Lisa was not really popular anywhere but France. And even then, it was not the most popular in its wing of the museum. It took 28 hours before anyone noticed she was gone. Both J.P. Morgan and Pablo Picasso were accused of having hired the thieves while other fingers pointed at Germany for the deed. Perugia wanted to sell the painting, but it became too hot to hawk. It wasn't until 28 months later he had the guts to try to sell the Mona Lisa to a skeptical art gallery who had notified the authorities. Vincenzo claimed Italian patriotism and that he was returning the masterpiece to its rightful land after Napoleon had stolen it a century prior. He only served eight months in prison. This story was barely newsworthy, however, because a few days following his trial, World War I began. I wonder why the Turtles didn't travel back in time to prevent that crime. With Raphael and Leonardo out of the picture, Pope Clement VII, Piero de Lorenzo de Medici's cousin Giulio, ordered Michelangelo to create the Last Judgment to go on the wall in the Sistine Chapel. While he was painting it, he was also working on other projects for the papacy to highlight the crucifixion of St. Peter and the conversion of St. Paul. When Clement died in 1534, Paul III took over and made sure that Michelangelo got the thing started and finished. And even then, it still took seven years to do. It shows Christ returning from the grave to judge all the souls of earth, cleanly shaven, young, muscular, and naked. Around him, souls are going either to heaven or hell. St. Bartholomew is there too and looks remarkably like Michelangelo who was also working on several architectural designs. In 1546, Michelangelo was made the architect of St. Peter's Basilica after others had failed to make progress on the structure for some 50 years. He conformed his plans to those of Bramante's 40 years earlier to make the church stronger visually as well as structurally. Though the dome was not finished until after Michelangelo died, it has been referred to as the greatest creation of the Renaissance. Michelangelo was a strict Catholic who got even stricter as he aged. He ate to live rather than live to eat, 
and was known to sleep in his shoes and clothes. A bit of a loner, he was radically chaste and wrote more than 300 madrigals and sonnets, which some claim to reveal a romantic relationship with a younger, 34 years younger, man named Tommaso de Cavalieri, who was a devoted lover to Michelangelo until he died in Rome just a few weeks before his 89th birthday and was buried in Florence. When Michelangelo's grandnephew, Michelangelo Buonarroti, released the poems in 1623, he had the pronouns of the genders switched. They wouldn't be switched back until 1893. Michelangelo was not included in the naming of the Italian Space Agency Multipurpose Logistic Modules, Donatello, Leonardo, and Raffaello, but he'll always be everybody's favorite ninja, Turtle Power. And as a reward for listening to Season 2 and my atrocious Italian today, please enjoy two minutes of a genuine Italian reading all the words I mispronounced. We'll see you next season. Gian Lorenzo Bernini Donato di Nicolò di Betto Bardi Lorenzo Ghiberti Filippo Brunelleschi Arte della Seta Palazzo Vecchio Museo dell'Opera del Duomo Giovanni di Bicci Medici Arti Maggiori Arte della lana, arte del cambio, Rimini, Michelozzo, Porte del Paradiso, Priore, Santa Croce, Giovanni Crivelli, Gatta Melata, Leonardo di Serpiero da Vinci, Verrocchio, Andrea di Michele di Francesco De Cioni, Lorenzo di Credi, Domenico Ghirlandaio, Sandro Botticelli Pietro Perugino Lucrezia Tornabuoni Giuliano Garzone Garzoni Michelangelo di Lodovico Buonarroti Simoni Domenico Ghirlandaio Bertoldo di Giovanni Palazzo Vecchio San Donato a Scopeto Pazzi Poliziano Raffaello Sanzio da Urbino, Bartolomeo, Santo Spirito, Bologna, Raffaele Riario, Gran Cavallo, Bartolomeo Colleoni, Pietà, Baronci, Garigliano, Anghiari, Cascina, Bastiano da Sangallo, Agostino di Duccio, Piazza della Signoria, Vincoli, Donato Bramante, Maria Bibiena, Monna Vanna, Francesco Melzi, Salai, Battista di Villussis, Giulio Romano, Gianfranco Penni, Vincenzo Perugia, Vincenzo Lancelotti, Tommaso De Cavalieri.
help us keep the curiosities coming, please rate us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to visit scatteredcuriosities.com for exclusive free downloads and to donate to the show.